You've, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're down into verse 14. Uh, so here we are in 2 Peter finishing up this uh, letter. Uh, it's funny now, I mean, this was probably a letter that most of us were not familiar with. Uh, when you ask people what their favorite, you know, uh, book of the Bible is, very few people will say Second Peter, right? I mean, it'd be like if someone said Jude. Uh, it's just not one that a lot of people really, you know, typically typically run to. But it's a letter structured a lot like uh, many of Paul's letters, a lot of the New Testament letters, this sort of format of remember what God has done and then respond to that. This is what God has done. This is what God is going to do. Remember that and then live uh, live this way. Live lives of holiness, godwardness, spotless, blameless, uh, lives of peace, uh, those sorts of things. And, and that's, again, like you said, that's not something new to Peter. Peter says Paul has said these same things in all of his letters when he talks about this stuff. Uh, but if it were just about the Bible, Second Peter would be fairly simple. Now, really, a lot of this would be simple. Unfortunately, for the people Peter is writing to, uh, there are those who are twisting the Scripture. They'll take the things that are hard to understand and they'll twist them. In fact, he says they'll even take the things that are easy to understand and twist those. They do this with all the scriptures. So since we know this, since we know this beforehand, what should we do? And that's where we're at in 2 Peter now. This is happening. This is what's going to take place. What do we do in light of the fact that people will twist the scriptures, that there are those uh, that twist the word of God. What do we do? How do we, as we saw last week, how do we take care? Uh, How do we be on guard of ourselves? Knowing beforehand what we know, what should we now do? How can we keep from getting carried away? Right? How can we keep from being carried away? Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll read verses 14 through 18 again. We'll really focus uh, on 17 today. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which see ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that Christ would be glorified now to the day of eternity. And Father, we pray that he's glorified here in our midst as we read from his word uh, and we respond to it. That, God, we would respond the way you called the people in Second Peter to respond, that we would uh, be on guard ourselves, that, Father, we, as we saw last week, would not be, uh, you know, so worried about these false teachers and yet not be killing sin in our own hearts that you have already warned us about beforehand. So, Father, prepare us to be a type of people uh, to whom it is not acceptable to twist the scriptures. Prepare our hearts uh, for any battle that should come our way, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you look down at verse 17, what do you do if someone is twisting the scriptures? And and that's what 17 and 18 lay out. Uh, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with lawless, there of lawless people and lose your own stability. I mean, we live in an unstable world. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. Uh, It is a fairly unstable world and it is unfortunately not filled with the most stable of people. Right? It'd be one thing if our world was just chaotic and there were just random firestorms in California. It's another thing when some of those things might be set by unstable folks who like to see firestorms. Uh, we live in an unstable world filled with unstable people, people who are 
I mean, and that's just not unstable mentally. This is true just in our lives. We as people run from one thing to another thing, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find purpose. When you, when you look at the people of this world, they are running from project to project from, to project, from thing to thing to thing, always hunting, always trying to find that which will make them happy. And people, that, this, is, this is what keeps bookstores filled. This is what keeps the internet blogospheres filled, right? Is, is people wanting to know, what do I need? There's got to be something because they run after this one thing, they get it, and are they satisfied? No. So what do they do? They run and not just, not just walk, they run wholeheartedly after something else. It's true in, even in major things in our lives. People, whether, whether it's something as simple as diet, they'll run from one diet to another. They'll, they'll run from one religion to another, one relationship to another, one job to another. People are unstable. It's like we've all decided to take a pact to keep pace with this chaotic world. Like the world's there, uh, it's like as, as if we're going, oh, you think the world's crazy? Watch this. Uh, we are a very unstable people. And, and since we know that's going on, since we know we live in an unstable world, it is not surprising that people in their instability would come to one of the greatest gifts in the world, which is God's word, and try and use that in an unstable way. So if we know that's going to take place, we know you've got, like we saw last week, if you know you've got undisciplined or undiscipled, undiscipled, unstable people coming and twisting God's word, what do we do? How do we, as Peter warns here, how do we make sure we don't lose our own stability? How do we make sure we don't lose what we've got and in the end, end up just like them? Because that's Peter's worry for this church. Don't end up being, he's already praised them for their stability, the stability that comes in the Lord. Now he's saying, look, you've got unstable people coming in. Don't let them come in and steal your stability that has been a gift from the Lord. The fact that your life isn't going all over the place anymore, that you're stable, that you're settled on the rock is a great gift of God's grace. So don't let anyone come in and disrupt that. Well, how? How do we keep from becoming like these false teachers? How do we keep making sure that we don't end up becoming scripture twisters ourselves, that we don't fall prey to what they're saying? Peter's going to lay out two things, one in verse 17 and one in verse 18. And the first one is what we'll look at today. <clears throat> the, the, for verse 17, here's what he calls us to do. Don't get carried away by their teaching. So the first thing he says in verse 17, take care that you're not what? Carried away. You just steal your points from the Bible. It's really easy. Uh, So what's the first step in dealing with people who are twisting scripture and make sure that you don't become unstable? He says, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So you make sure you're not carried away with what they're teaching. Now, we don't know exactly what these false teachers were saying. So it's not like here is the error. Watch out for this particular error. We get, we get some hints at what it might be here. He calls, calls them lawless people. In, in chapter 2, he said the false teachers are licentious, meaning they're giving you a license to live any way that you want to. So maybe he's telling these Christians, these false teachers are, are telling the Christians that they can live however you want. Be lawless. We don't need the law anymore. You don't have to do what God said anymore. You're just sort of, you know, this uh, freedom in Christ sort of thing. You just live however you want now. You can see then that would make sense why Peter would be pointing back to things like, no, you, holiness, godwardness, spotless, blameless. You could see why Peter would be pointing to those things. But he couldn't also just be referring to the way that they handled the word. That they take up the law, but they're not guided by it. That they, that they use the law, but they're actually lawless. So he, he could be actually making a play on words about their teaching. 
that they are trying to show you how to really keep the law, but in the end, they're not obeying the law the way they're supposed to. In the, in the same way that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, right, who were coming and proclaiming, here's what you do with the law. And he was like, no, you're lawless. And they're, they're quoting the law all the time, uh, but yet they're a lawless people. Now, we don't really know for sure. This, the specific of what the teaching is isn't important or it would be clearly detailed to us in the scripture. What is important is that whatever these false teachers were selling, it was a threat to the stability of the church. And it went against God's word. It was obviously and clearly a twisting of the word of God. And the people, if they were not careful, were in danger of being swept up in this false teaching, losing their own stability uh, that they got in Christ. And in the end, becoming just as, as lawless as these false teachers are. So if we're to take up that first warning, uh, the first warning would be don't let yourself get carried away, right? This is the point. Be firm in what you know. There's, a, there's always a temptation for, for people to be swept up in new thoughts and new ideas. This is just a, man, this is a common temptation to, to folks uh, to say, man, I've never heard that before. And since you've never heard it before, it's like, whoa, that's really, really sort of neat. Why, why didn't anyone ever teach me that, you know, before? Maybe what happens is maybe you feel like your Christian life has become uh, a, a little stagnant. Someone shares with you something new and all of a sudden now you've got something new to study, right? You'd been, you'd been, you'd gone over all the old stuff before. Now you've got something new to search, search the scriptures for. I call it, this is a common common phase in the Christian life. I call this the Christian midlife crisis. Because what happens in a Christian midlife crisis is the beginning of your Christian faith is all exciting, right? You're learning all the new things. Uh, and I, maybe it was when you're in youth group or when you're in college. And I mean, it's just like, like a fountain. And then the rest of the Christian life is a digestion. Of, and unless you're old, no one enjoys a good digestion, right? Uh, but when you get older, you're like, man, I'm, we got some good digestion going on here. Uh, for the Christian, what happens many times is we, get, we, we, we have defined our Christian life in that, ah, oh, that gobbledy, exciting, early part of the Christian life. And then when you get into the digestion phase, when you get into the midlife phase of the Christian life, you just start looking back at that earlier phase and wanting to know, hey, where's that excitement at? Where's that stuff at? Where's that newness? And so you remembered what it was like to learn a new thing about this or a new thing about that. And now it is more just a processing and a going deeper into what you know. Uh, and, and you all of a sudden think, man, I've got to have something new. There's got to, there's got to be something more. Just like in the, the physical life, as early changes are so rapid, when we get to the, uh, the midlife of the Christian and we're mature Christians and we've we're growing in the faith in that way. Sometimes, just like happens in midlife, actual midlife crises, Christians go, I kind of want to spice things up a little bit. You know, I, th- I think I need something to, to spice up my Christian life. Uh, and they'll, they, they hear something new and they go, this is what I've needed. This will bring that excitement back. And that might be what's going on in, in 2 Peter as well. The, when someone comes and they twist the scripture, you see something there you've never seen before. All of a sudden it goes, wow. Where's that been at the whole time? So he says, look, do not get carried away. This is why when you go to the local Christian bookstore, the most popular book is not one who's just detailing to you the things that you should have already known in scripture. It's someone who comes and says, look, I've got new things from Jesus. Normally that's what it is. Right. I've got new, I've got new insight. I mean, that's like the book Jesus Calling or whatever. Like that's the that's what she originally started saying. You know, I had my Bible reading had grown cold and Jesus started telling me new things. And uh, and what that's wow, that's deep. That's new. Look at the new stuff. I never thought of these things this way. There's a lot of books like that. A lot of teachers like that. So the question is, how do you keep from being carried away like that? The first step in in this is to realize that you can be carried away the first step is to realize this is a real threat to you 
This is not just a threat to those people in 2 Peter. This is not a threat just to young Christians in many ways. I think this is a, this is a threat to, to Christians as we go on in our Christian life. Uh, because what can happen is before, before you think you're reading this and you, you, you see about this happening, you think this, this is for other people. This is, so as you're hearing about being carried away by false teachers, you're thinking about all those types of people that are always carried away by the false teachers. Like if, that can't be just your first thought right? Like this is what so-and-so and so-and-so and and this group and that church, this is what they need to hear. This is what we need to be aware of. It is a very real threat for any of us to be carried away uh, in, this isn't just for people who don't have the gift of discernment. We'll talk about that later. Uh, But remember, the Bible is filled with sound biblical people who have been carried away by false teaching, by lawlessness. In fact, you're reading the letter of one of them. You're reading the letter of exactly why this can be a problem for you. Peter himself was carried away, was led astray by lawless people in his own life, post the resurrection of Christ, post Pentecost, post those great sermons that he preached that we go to and thousands are saved. Post that, he has a circumcision party come and Paul has to rebuke him for being carried away from the gospel. You see this, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And notice, it doesn't just affect him. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That word led astray, that's the same word as carried away in Second Peter. That Barnabas was carried away. That e- and I love, I love that it says, even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Even, Bar- it's like as if, the, yeah, okay, Peter, that might make sense, but this even got, even Barnabas people, if you want to know how dangerous it is, Peter was led away to the point of being condemned by Paul, had to say to his face, he had been carried away, acting like a hypocrite. The other Jews followed with him, even Barnabas. And you can imagine the, the Paul saying this to these readers in Galatia going, wow, even the, you know, the son of encouragement uh, can be carried away by, look at Peter, if Peter can, and Barnabas, these Jews. Is it so Peter's own instability led to his downfall, but not just his downfall, the downfall, it says, of others. So here you've got Peter telling, so imagine how poignant this is. In 2 Peter, you've got Peter telling you, don't lose your stability. Who what? Who has once lost his own stability? Who knows the danger? Who knows the threat? Peter's not being a hypocrite. He was being a hypocrite uh, in, in, in Galatians, but he's not being a hypocrite here. This is not Peter saying, don't do as I do. This is Peter saying, learn what I've learned. Don't lose your stability. And that's a good lesson. It, 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 look, if you, as, as we're going over this and we're looking at, and maybe you're thinking about the, the people you listen, used to listen to or the churches you used to go to or, or whatever, like, If you've lost your stability before and been carried away by stuff before, that doesn't make you a total failure any more than it made Peter a total failure. Learn from it like Peter did. If you learn, uh, if you used to listen to teachers that you shouldn't have listened to, if you used to do things, read things, if you used to twist the scriptures yourself, learn from that and use your knowledge to protect others and to protect yourself in the future. It's ve- I think it's very poignant that Peter, who once lost his stability, is writing to churches, warning them about losing 
theirs. And this, this can be a valuable lesson to us in that none of us is immune to the threat of people who twist the scripture. None of us. It's easy to think that this is talking about people who like this type of preacher or who like that type of book or who watch this TV station, but not me, right? I mean, I, I mean, I go, I go to First Baptist Pegs, right? We're basically, we're considered a cult for how seriously we take the Bible. Uh, so it can't, it can't be us, right? But if Peter can fall prey to instability, if even Barnabas can fall prey to instability. If the whole church in Galatia is being warned about it, if all the Jews that had just been celebrating the goodness of Christ and thousands are added to their numbers and those same ones can fall prey. If those those early Christians who sat next to the living word himself and learned at his feet, and matured at his feet, if they can fall prey to someone twisting the word, so can you. This is not just a problem for other people. It is a danger to our own hearts as well. In fact, Scripture says if you think you're immune to it, it probably shows how vulnerable you are. It'd be similar to Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 8 with those who think themselves wise. He said in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, he says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Right? If you think, I I know this, I've got this down, uh, that can be a dangerous situation to be in. In fact, Paul warned about this in Galatians 6. He says, when you see a brother sinning and you see, you see them lose their stability and fall into sin, one of the things you've got to be careful about is thinking, well, that'll never be me. And so in Galatians 6, what he say, brothers, if anyone uh, is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Doing what? Keeping watch on yourself. Some of the reasons for the gentleness. Lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something. When he is nothing. He deceives himself. The danger of being carried away is so prevalent that the that the Bible will, will talk about the dangers of, of being carried away in multiple levels. In fact, almost every New Testament author at some point wrote about the danger of being carried away, not to unbelievers, but to believers. Almost every New Testament author has something in one of their letters about church, be careful, you're not carried away. So it'd be silly for us to see all that, to see scripture warn about it over and over and think, well, that's not for me. Uh, to see, see Peter fall prey to it, to see even Barnabas fall prey to it. And us to think, no, it's those type of people that will fall prey to, to twisting the scriptures. It's those types. It can be all of us if we do not do what we're supposed to do. So then the question becomes what? Well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? One, after recognizing that it's a real threat, okay, I know it's a threat, but just recognizing the threat isn't the end of of what I'm supposed to do. Let's look at a few examples where Scripture talks about people who are carried away and instructs us uh, in those, either, either instructs us how not to be carried away ourselves or warns us through them being carried away what to uh, look out for, all to make sure that we're not carried away. So, so recognize that it's a problem. Now, what do you sort of do? The first one we've already seen in Galatians chapter 2 to make sure that, that, you're, not, uh, uh, that you're not carried away. Uh, look, at, look at what it says. I would say this one, the, don't fear people more than you fear God. Don't fear people more than you fear God. You want to be carried away? Then don't fear people more than you fear the Lord. In this way, make sure when it comes to being carried away, make sure you have to be carried away. That you don't just walk with the crowd away. Make sure they've got to carry you. That you don't go, oh, what's everyone else saying? Okay, that's what I'll say. That, I mean, that's part of the problem with Peter. Peter didn't really have to be carried away. Peter kind of went willingly. 
And why? Look at Galatians 2, verses 11 and 12. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Right thing to do, even to Peter. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Why? Fearing the circumcision party. Peter was condemned because he became a hypocrite. But what made him a hypocrite? It was a fear of the circumcision party. And his fear of them outweighed his fear and reverence and joy in the Lord. And so since that was bigger to him than God, right? And you can think of how silly it would be. It wouldn't matter how many, what does it say? It it says there that certain men came from James. It doesn't say there's like a large group or a vast army with swords and pitchforks. They came and Peter in his weakness went back to the rooster crowing incident and fled from the Lord, right? We don't even know. But we do know is that this group in his eyes was able to be larger than his God because he became a hypocrite and abandoned what he knew to be true. He was not just a fool. He was a hypocrite. He was saying one thing was from God's word and then he was acting another way because of these people. Don't want to be carried away? Then make sure that you don't fear people more than you fear the Lord. In other words, don't follow along with something just because everyone else is. Again, I don't care what the favorite book is at the Christian bookstore. I don't care what everyone's favorite latest preacher is. I don't care what everyone else is telling you, what the world might be telling you. God is really like, and you start hearing that over and over. And then people look at you and say, I can't believe that you think God is like that. That's not the God that I worship. You, ooh, that's not the God of the Bible. And, and you're going, but that's the God based on this verse and this verse and this verse and this verse. But what can happen is they can say that loudly enough and enough people can say, I can't believe you're so hateful. Or I can't believe you're this, that you start to go, okay, uh, uh, yeah, whatever. And you start to agree with them, not because you believe them, but because you fear them. And so instead of being carried away, you will walk away because of your fear of man. Never leave God in order to follow people. Now, if you're reading a book and that book is talking to you about what the word of God says and encouraging you to follow the Lord, by all means, enjoy it. If that preacher is pointing you to scripture and laying out to you the word of God and growing your love for the Lord more than your love for that preacher, then by all means, listen. But if there becomes a point where you have to choose between them and God, be careful. Because even Peter chose them. So make sure that you do not fear people more then you fear the Lord. Make sure that people are not big and God is small, which is a great book. So do not let the popularity of an idea, even from the people around you, be why you follow an idea. And this is true both when the popularity is on the macro level, right? The whole world is saying it. Or like in Peter's case, when it's just a group of people at work who say, God is like this. And instead of saying, no, he's not, you just go along with it. And in order to fit in with your friends or your acquaintances, you silently follow with them instead of following the Lord. Like Peter, all of a sudden, you leave the table and you start associating with them. So the first thing to do is realize it's a threat. The next thing, don't fear people more than you fear God. Next, grow heavy in maturity. Grow heavy in maturity. 
just in terms of, of metaphors to keep the idea of being carried away, it's a whole lot harder to carry away an adult than it is a child, right? Uh, no one is worried about someone running up and grabbing your husband at the, at the, at the, at the outdoor dinner table and throwing him in a van uh, and getting out of there. Uh, why? Because it is harder to carry away an adult than it is a child. And the same thing is true in this context. The danger of being carried away is especially high when we are young in our faith. So in order, if that's a danger, what do we need to do? We need to make, we need to hurry and grow in our faith. We need to get fat in faith. We can see this danger for the immature in Ephesians chapter 4. We can see that it is the young in the faith that are more apt to be carried away. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. You keep your finger in in Ephesians 4. We'll be here quite a bit for this point, jumping back and forth, because Paul lays out a real long discussion on this. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, for what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and what and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what does he say here? You look down at verse 14. What keeps us from being tossed back and forth? He says it's maturity because it's children who are tossed to and fro by every wave, who are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, who follow human cunning or deceitfulness. It's maturity, maturity that makes us heavy, the maturity that keeps us from being carried away. Well, how does that maturity happen? He says that maturity happens when we grow in the, in the body that he has given us. And how does that happen? The same way it's always happened in the teaching of the word. So he says, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to do what? To grow up the body of Christ so that we might not be children. To teach us what the word of God says so that that word of God might mature us so that we're not tossed about by every wind and wave. The word grows you into maturity. All all we can do, Zach and I can do, is plant and water. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 3.17? It's God that gives the growth through that. But how can we we grow in this maturity? How can we know we're growing in this maturity? Look back at Ephesians 4, what it says. What does this maturity look like that Paul is pursuing? Paul says that God is growing up the church. Until we all attain, verse 13, into verse 12, to equip the saints. So he's got these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, their job, equip the saints for the building up of the body. Until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure, the stature of fullness of Christ. How does Christian maturity happen? God grows Christian maturity as pastors and teachers grow the body of Christ together in unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. In unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So Christian maturity happens as God grows the church, not as God grows each individual in it. And I think that's an, that, that can be an important reminder that we need to understand when it comes to church, you are not here and we are not here for your growth. Which is what we can do. It's how we can measure the successfulness of church or not. How we can measure what's going on. Am I growing? Right? When really scripture says that the purpose of the church is not necessarily just to grow you, but to grow us. That you are not even supposed to be here just namely and solely for your own growth. Remember, remember that, that crazy passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25? What does he say there in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25? What does he say? Let us consider what? How to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, how do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this passage has all sorts of implications for many things, but the main point of this passage is, why do you go to church? Not even just for you, but for one another. Don't forsake assembling together. Why? Because people need you. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and don't neglect to meet together. But encourage one another. Do it all the more as you see the day approaching. That is, if we want to grow as Christians, God grows the Christian a certain way. And he grows the Christian inside the body of the church through the preaching of the men that he has placed over to shepherd that church. And, and we see this in, in our Christian lives because when we, we can, we're all growing at different rates and in different ways. I mean, there will be sermons that, that you love and that change your life. And you talk to someone else about that and they're like, I remember the joke that he said. You know, I, or, or if they remember that. And there will be other things that people will want to talk to you about. I can't, did you read that verse? Wasn't that verse great? And you say, yes, because you can't say no. But you don't know why it was as great as they think it was. I mean, you heard it and you went, that is God's word. But they're having like this existential spiritual moment. Why? Because the Lord is growing us each separately so that he might grow us in unity. And that's what he says. This maturity is growing us up. This maturity is growing us to the unity of faith and knowledge of the son. This is why Christians all the time, and they talk about the, the need for unity in the church. And the church, the church doesn't need unity, guys. The church has unity. They're either walking in it or not. But what grows up true Christian unity being united in our faith and in our knowledge of the Son of God. That's what unite. I mean, anything else. I mean, you can, have a, you can have a motorcycle club that has a lot of unity. You can have your, you know, your favorite Christian cowboy club that has a lot of unity. But what grows up true gospel unity is the fact that we're all different and yet united by our faith and knowledge of the Son. So, but what does that growth in unity look like? Look at verse 15 and 16. So, so he says he's growing us up into maturity. How is that maturity happening? It's not happening just by yourself. It's happening as he grows up the body. So I don't want you to be children tossed to and fro. How does that take place? You've got pastors and teachers growing the body together. So verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maturity in the Christian life has a certain process. It is, in this case, speaking the truth in love as christians speak the truth in love look what happens we are grown into greater and greater christ likeness but again here paul makes the point this is not just a personal growth issue because look at the purpose of the of this individual christ likeness he says from whom the whole body joined and held together when each part is working properly makes the body grow when each part of our body is maturing and working properly it is for the purpose of growing our whole body this is why this is why i i I smile in a in a happy way and 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 sort of chuckle on the inside when people get frustrated with the church or with others in the church not getting certain things I chuckle because that's kind of how the, 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 the body's supposed to work. That God designed the church that as each part grew, the other parts would be helped in their growth by that part's growth. So I say that this is, this is, this is really important for us to see. Every time you see a deficiency in the church, that is not a reason for you to leave that church or to say, man, our church has a problem. You see the deficiency that look that seeing that is the reason you're in the church. 
I wish that the church was more this, or I wish that the church was more that. You only feel that way because God, by his grace, matured you in that area. But for what purpose? Why does, why does Paul say in Ephesians, he matures us, not just so that we can sit back and see how others aren't to the point that God got us yet, but to be used by him to grow the body in that very thing. So if, you, if God is growing you in maturity, recognize that he is not growing all of us like some sort of synthetic weed. That, that what happens is when we grow in one area of Christian maturity, all of a sudden that becomes the most important area that everyone else needs to get and they need to get right now. When the truth is we just got it right now. And if all we think of is how we've got it and no one else does, we forget the purpose for which God gave it to us. God didn't mature us so that we could look at all the other plants that aren't as mature in this area as we are and go, what a shameful plant that is. God grew us in maturity, he says in Ephesians, so that we might grow one another in that maturity. So that you might encourage others to that truth. So that you might go, well, how long do I have to put up with these people? Because I've talked to people about this and they ain't getting it. And you say, well, how long did it take you? How long did it take you? Well, I mean, I'm it's probably in my 30s, you know. Well, it looks like you got to give them a little bit. I mean, I'm 55 and I got it yesterday, but. That's why Paul described unity this way at the start of Ephesians 4. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And look at how he lays that out. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, that unity that he's just going to talk about is our Christian maturity, that unity of the spirit in the bond of what, what binds that unity together, the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Christian unity has a certain feel to it. Christian maturity has a certain, a certain aura about it, a certain practice. And so Paul tells him here, I want you to be a people who are, who are longing for these things. The, the manner in which we're supposed to walk is one of humility and gentleness, patience, all these things that are about how you handle people that are not necessarily great or perfect. And you don't need, you, you don't need gentleness with people who are already easy to get along with. You don't need patience with people who haven't done anything wrong. You, you don't need to bear with one another in love if everyone's just doing awesome. And so he's talking to them about this need for Christian maturity, this Christian maturity and the unity that comes with it. That's what will keep us from being carried away. And that maturity happens through the process that God has put in place. And what process do we see in Ephesians chapter four? Pastors and teachers growing the body toward maturity through the preaching of the word. That's how maturity happens. So don't forsake being with other believers, not just because it's not for their good, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 say, but don't forsake being with other believers because that makes you run the risk of being someone who's carried away. If you're not with other believers, if you're forsaking the assembling together, you know what you're doing? You are, you are taking yourself out of the means by which God designed maturity to happen. This is why I said, I don't know anyone who, as they become more mature, starts coming to church less. You don't see any godly Christian saint who's like the most holy person you know. And they're like, you know what? I just started, I just really recognized it. I don't think I really need to go to church anymore. I kind of have reached the plateau. Why? Because that's not how God says Christian growth happens. Christian growth happens in the body with believers that we are all grown together. You want to be carried away? Forsake the body of Christ. Forsake the means of maturity that God has placed in the body. You want to keep from being carried away? Then trust the process of Christian growth that God has put in place. Be mature. 
be mature through godly pastoring and union with a local church body. That's how God matures the church. So let me encourage you, Christian. You don't want to be someone carried away? Be with other believers as much as you can. Be with your church as much as you can. It is hard to carry away someone when they're tied to one another. And when all of those people are themselves tied to Christ. And we'll, we'll stop there. We'll do the other ones next week that we're going to look at. Uh, but that's a, that's a good place to stop so we don't just run out of time. But let's look at, let's look at those three things. Just as we go ahead and bow our heads. The threat of being carried away is real. It is a danger for me. It is a danger for Zach. It is a danger for you. If Peter can be carried away, if Barnabas, so can you. So be on on guard against that. Recognize the real threat of being carried away. And so right now, just ask God, God, I come to you in humility. And God, in my humility, I ask you to protect me from being carried away. Protect me, Father, just right now. Ask that of the Lord. The other thing we saw is don't fear people more than you fear God. If you have placed... uh, people on a higher pedestal than the Lord then you'll follow them instead of following him so ask God that you would put him in his rightful position in your heart that you would fear and love and adore him that you would care more about what he thinks than what anybody else thinks and then we saw The way you're protected from being carried away is to grow in maturity. So ask God to grow you in your maturity. To fatten you up as a Christian. To take you from being a child. That you would grow in the way he has laid out in the body of Christ. And thank him that you're in a body of believers that cares for you. That you've been given this purpose, not just of growing yourself, but of growing one another. Thank God for that. Thank God that it's not just about you growing. You that he's put people in your life that they grow in order to help you grow. That God is growing them so that they might help grow you. That is such joyous teamwork in the body of Christ. And that will help us to keep from being frustrated with one another. You grow beyond your your fellow brothers and sisters. Well, that's what you're here for. And one day they'll grow beyond you in an area. You'll see their growth in that area and say, God, I want, I want that. I want to know that. You'll see their learning, their maturity. This is part of life in the body. But it's an essential part if we don't want to be carried away. If we don't want to be like children who are tossed back and forth by every wind and wave of doctrine, every new thing we hear. We have to be mature. And maturity comes through the preaching of the word in the body of Christ. So may we commit to being mature the way God calls us to be mature. You don't want to be carried away? Spend as much time with the church as you can. That's the means by which God fattens us up. The Christian life is not a hermitage. It's a body. May we take advantage of it. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the work of of your son to give us stability in the first place. We thank you for pulling us out of this unstable world and setting our feet upon the rock. 
And so, God, I pray that we would not lose our stability and be carried away by any people who come twisting the word. That, Father, we would recognize that, that being uh, carried away is a very real threat for all of us, Father. That I would not let myself become so puffed up as to think, and, and the whole time that I'm talking about people being carried away, I'm just thinking about all these other people who, who have already been carried away or who, who, who look like they might be carried away someday. And I never recognize that this is a real threat, even to my own heart. And, Father, I pray that, God, we would fear you more than anything in this world, that we would worship and adore you, that there would be nothing that we put on a pedestal higher than you, that we would not treat others as if they are our God, and that we must worship what they think or what they say. Father, we would serve you and you alone in everything, in every situation, in in what we know to be true, that we would never especially abandon you to those who are so clearly twisting God's word and end up being hypocrites like, like Peter was condemned. And we faithfully follow you instead of fearing others. And God, I pray that you will grow us in our maturity, that you would make, give us fat souls for you, that find so much satisfaction in you and in your word that nothing can pluck us from that teat of the milk of the word. That, Father, we will be fattened up, not able to be tossed about, not able to be thrown around, not able to be carried by the wind. That we would not be kites, but instead lead balloons, Father. Tied to each other, And then moored together to you. Father, if we're, if, if, if any of us is going to not be carried away, then we as a body must work to not be carried away. And I pray that as you grow us as a body, you will grow us each individually. And what a joy, what a joy to know, because we all know our deficiencies. Oh, so well, Father. To know that you are raising up men and women to encourage me in my walk in the Lord. To point me to greater Christ-likeness. To give me a greater unity and faith and a knowledge of the Son. Until we're all grown up into the full stature. Father, we long for that day. And we will commit to serving your body and not just ourselves until that day comes. Growing each other up in unity. Maturing us all that we may not be carried away. Thank you, Father, for that great work and for the work you do in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.